Tonight we are going to continue our series on things that go bump in the church. And uh, everything is just working out perfectly. The weather has cooperated with this theme. We, if we could have a few claps of thunder and some lightning and the lights would go out, man, it'd be perfect. Uh, so we, we might get it. We'll, we'll see. But um, we're talking about some things that people uh, sometimes are afraid of with reference to the church. Last, last week, I it started the, the lesson by telling a story that had happened to me at, at a church building a number of years ago, how I had come in my office one night and somebody was in my office hiding behind the door and uh, it was dark and, you know, all the things that were involved in that. Someone came out this morning and said, now listen, I come home, basically said, I come home to a, a house by myself, and I don't want any more stories like that tonight. So uh, I, I won't tell you that, but I do have to tell you something a little bit scary, and maybe it'll explain some things about me, because there are some things that are scary, and uh, using that theme, I just want to tell you this story. When I was little, I, I remember my granddad, my granddad Higginbotham, would get us all the grandchildren together and uh, pile us up. He'd be sitting on the couch and he'd pull us all close. And he had two poems memorized and would tell them with such, you know, voice inflection. He would scare, scare the daylights out of us and then hush us off to bed. You know, can you imagine? But he, here's what, I, I had to look this up to find what he said, but here's what he would tell us. Um, the first one went like this. Last night upon the stair, and by the way, our rooms, our bedrooms were upstairs, so we had to go upstairs after he told us this. But he said, last night I saw upon the stair a little man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. Oh, how I wish he'd go away. And then he'd say, go on upstairs. You know, and I would be like, are you kidding me? You know, that man upstairs? And then this was the other one that he had in memory. He said, once there was a little boy who wouldn't say his prayers. And when he went to bed at night away upstairs, his mommy heard him holler and his daddy heard him bawl. And then, and when they turned the covers down, he wasn't there at all. They sought him in the rafters, the cubby hole and press and sought him in the chimney flue and everywhere, I guess. But all they ever found was his pants and roundabout. And the goblins will get you too if you don't watch out. And then, and then he would send us to bed. Um, you know, when I, when, when the kids would go home and, and they would say, Dad, why is your bedroom downstairs? Uh, that's probably the real reason. Uh, I was afraid to have, I wanted my room next to my parents downstairs. But, uh, anyway, uh, let's get on a serious note here and let's talk about some things that people are afraid of when it comes to church. There are people that are not here tonight because they're afraid. They're afraid of what church is and what church stand, stands for. And they're afraid that if they come here, they'll experience some things that they have in mind that is scary to them. And so what I wanted to do, to do for the next three weeks, uh, well, last week, this week, and next week, is to look at some things that I think scare people about church and then try to alleviate those fears or at least be mindful that they have these fears and let's do what we can do to minimize and marginalize those fears. This is the place where hope is found. 
This is the place where people meet Jesus and we worship Him and, and we come together and, and learn of His will and His word and, and for people to be afraid to come here. Um, and maybe afraid because I'm not doing something right. Well, we, we need to change that or do what we can to alleviate some of those fears. The passage that was just read uh, from 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, reminds us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We've got to get over our fears. And so I want us to look at two things tonight that people are sometimes afraid of when... We talk about the church. The first thing is this. I think that sometimes people are afraid of, well, if I go to church, I'll have to change. I'll have to repent. I can't do the things that I've always done. I'll have to change. And I don't know that I'm ready to do that. And so people stay away from church because they're afraid that if they come to church, they'll have to change. Now, I'll tell you what, that's something we can't change. You know, that fear can be minimalized or minimized and marginalized, but we cannot remove the fact that people do have to change. You know what? When someone says, you know, if I give my life to Jesus and start going to church, then I'm going to have to change. And they're exactly right. We can't, we can't, uh, hedge on that. We can't make it easier than the Lord has made it. We, we have to demand repentance. Listen, in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, Jesus said this, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. That, listen, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations. It, it requires us, and the message that, that comes out of the cross is that folks have to change. They have to repent. And quite frankly, that scares some folks. Because they're not convinced that they're ready to give up what they have in the world. There are things that they're doing right now that if they became a Christian, they'd have to stop doing. And they're not sure that they're ready to make that decision or not. And, and as much as I want people to follow Jesus, I cannot lower the standard of the cross to accommodate people. If you come to Jesus, yes, you do have to change. You know, uh, there are those who have tried in recent times to um, use a marketing approach with reference to Christianity. They've kind of tried to package it. You know, you, you send me to the store and, and uh, you know, I, I want to buy the box of cereal that is the most entertaining. You know, the one that looks the, the most fun. Uh, that stuff works on me. It, it may not on some of you uh, ladies, but boy, you package it in something really neat and I'm probably going to pick it up and put it in my buggy. Um, I, I, I'm not very smart that way. But... Um, we cannot package the gospel like you would a product in the grocery store. It just cannot be done because there's one reason, and it's this, it's this reason. Galatians 5 and verse 11 speaks of it. You cannot remove the offense of the cross from Christianity. 
You know, however you package it, there's a bottom line message, an underlying message that says, you guys are sinners and you cause Jesus to die. That can't be removed. There's always going to be that offense of the cross. And if we remove that, well, we've removed the heart of the gospel. And so while I want people to come to, to Christ and I, I want them to be a part of his body of Christ, I, I, we cannot lower the standard and say, well, you know what? I, I know you're afraid of changing and, and I know you're afraid of, of making these changes in your life because you're comfortable the way you are, but really you have to. But I can, I'll tell you what we can do. We can make and help make change manageable. We can help show people that the changes that God calls them to make are in their best interest and are really good things. Once you do it, it's not really that bad. In fact, it's good. And how do we do that? Well, we have to convince people, well, of this truth. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. We need to show people that the goodness of God leads to repentance. You know, if we're just calling people to change without having any kind of relationship with God, if we're calling to people to make changes and not having, uh, you know, this love and connection to God, it'll never work. Someone said this, and it's four R's, and it's good to remember. Rules without relationship result in rebellion. If you just tell me to change and just set down some rules and don't give me any relationship, any context for that change, well, you know what? I'm going to be looking for ways to break those rules. Because who just wants to have somebody standing over you with their thumb pushing you down? That's not what Christianity is. Christianity isn't just a set of rules that you have to, you know, abide by and there's reason to abide by them. There's a relationship that makes those changes easy. The goodness of God leads to repentance. You know how we change people's minds about being afraid of church because of the changes that it will make? We share with them the goodness of God. We help them to see that God is good and the changes in the life that he calls us to is good and and beneficial. If we'll do that, we'll do what we can to alleviate the fear of change. Sometimes there are things that, uh, you know, and I understand the whole idea of being afraid of change because we're we're all that. None of us like to change. We And I'm... Just speaking for myself, the older I get, I, I like my ruts more and more. I, I don't like to be budged out of my routines. And, and I suppose that's true with most, if not all of us. But Jesus calls us to change. I remember a time when I bought a word processing typewriter. Did you all ever do that? Some of you didn't. Word pro- what's that? You know, but see, I come from the, I am the last generation of people that have strong pinky fingers. Did you all, did anybody here learn to type on a manual typewriter? And you had to get a strong pinky finger to hit down the semicolon and the A, you know, and we're, we're, 
I'm, I'm probably the last, because I remember in my typing class, they were just introducing um, electric typewriters. And like everybody at the very beginning, when they brought these new ones in, they were just going, you know, because you, you the weight of your fingers was making, setting the whole keyboard off. But, you know, why, I've got this, I've got this um, word processing typewriter. I can put a piece of paper in there, and you know what? I can hit over there, and it will automatically give me an apostrophe, and I won't even have to hit shift key. Incredible. You know, it'll do apostrophes. I never thought I'd need anything else than my word processing typewriter. And it even had a ribbon, and you didn't have to take that white out. And, and dab it on there when you made a typo. It had a ribbon that had a strip on it that had that white out paper and you could just back over it and make it disappear. Man, uh, who needs anything more? I heard, well, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law bought a computer. I thought that is the most unwise use of money I have ever heard of in my life. Fifteen hundred or so dollars for a for what to play pong? You know, watch a ball go back and forth. I could not understand why anybody would pay that much money. It took me some convincing, but what would I do now if I didn't have a computer? How lost would we be? How many things that we take for granted and how much productivity do we get done that uh, I, I don't know how in the world I would be able to do without that. It, it took some change. It, I had to see, oh, well, that was good. I, I didn't think it was going to be, but it, it turned out it was. You know, when I first started using a computer, I had um, I didn't have a hard drive in it. I had floppy disk, five and a quarter inch floppy disk. You you remember, some of you remember those. And the programs ran from that floppy disk. And I didn't have a mouse. Who who needed a mouse? I, I had heard of a mouse. And, and I knew some people that had a, a mouse. And I thought, why would you ever want a mouse? Man, you can do everything right there on the keyboard. You can navigate and go through. You don't need a mouse. I don't want a mouse. Well, again, it took me a while, but when I finally made that change, I saw that, hey, you know what? This is easier. This works even better. I wasn't convinced of that at the first, but I saw that it was better. Listen, I remember throwing a fit. My, my dad took me car shopping one time. I don't know why anybody would do that, but I was just a little boy and we went car shopping and we were looking for a car and I was so upset at the choice that he made that I cried on the way home. You know why I cried? Because he bought the car that had air conditioning and I wanted to kind of just roll the window down. Because, you know, I like to hang my head out like a dog, you know, and, and in the breeze. And they didn't have seat belts back then and stuff and all these rules. And, and you know, you just went up and down the road doing this with your arm. And I was upset because the windows were going to be rolled up in my car. Ask me now, 
would you want a car without air conditioning? Uh, no, not at all. You see, those changes are changes that I resisted. And we could just go on and on and on. But when I saw that those changes are actually better, it's okay. If we want to alleviate the fears that people have about, if I go to church, I'm going to have to change. The answer to that is yes, you are. You're going to have to bear fruits worthy of repentance, as Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8 says. John the Baptist taught that. But if I can show them, but God is good. And you know the changes that he calls us to? They're good lifestyle changes. You'll be a better person. You'll be a stronger person. You'll be a more blessed, a more happy person. If you follow this way, I know it seems counterintuitive, but try the Lord and see. We need to do our best to display before the world that this really is the best way to live our lives. And and when we do that, we help to alleviate those fears. He made that change. He seems to be doing all right. They made that change. They they seem to be doing all right. Maybe, Maybe I can make that change. People are afraid of change. And that's one of the reasons they're afraid of the church. Here's a second reason. Some people are afraid of the church because of bad experiences. Oh, I've been to church before. I, I don't want anything to do with that. I, I, do you know what happened when I was... I had this happen at church. And they can rattle off horrifying experiences. I've heard some of them. I've witnessed a few where people act in ungodly ways and they say ungodly things and people that you put your trust and faith in have disappointed others and and have created scandals and all of these kind of things go on in the church. And some people say, I, yeah, I don't want anything to do with church because... I've had some bad experiences. I remember when we were called out, when we were embarrassed, when when we were corrected publicly, when we were humiliated, when and the list goes on and on. Well, again, what do we do about that? How do we help a person who's afraid of church because of some bad experiences that they've had? Well, one thing is to recognize this. It's nothing new. That's been around forever. You know, you go back to the first century, and there's in Third John, there's this guy by the name of Diotrephes. He'd love to have the preeminence. He'd love to run things, to be in charge, and and he was kicking people out of the church. He was just saying, you know what? I don't I don't care for that. You're gone. And he wouldn't even receive the apostle John as a part of the fellowship. Uncalled for. Can you imagine being in a church in the first century that was run by a man who wouldn't even accept the Apostle John? Talk about bad experiences at church. And those who probably were kicked out were probably those who were trying to call him and rein him in and say, what, you know, what's going on? You're out of here. You know, and the frustration, the the sinfulness of that situation, you see, it's not new. There have always been bad, 
unpleasant experiences in, in church from the beginning. And it's because we're all human. We all make mistakes. And I've said this before, but just as you as an individual need grace, churches need grace too. Churches sometimes make mistakes. Churches sometimes fail to live up to be all that God calls it to be. And they too need grace. We need to understand and teach people and help people to understand that, you know, that's just the nature of, of the beast here. I mean, there, there are things that happen. There, there's not perfection in the body of Christ. Now, on the divine side there is, but the human side, we, we stumble. We're prone to weakness and we make mistakes. But here's what we can do to help alleviate the fears that people have. We can remind them that it's really not fair to judge the entire church by one or two. That's not fair in any organization. Let, let me pick a football team, and by one or two members on that team, I judge the whole team. You wouldn't want to do that. Let me take a college, and by one or two teachers or one or two students that go to that college, let me judge the whole school. You, you wouldn't do that. Let me take a grocery store. And by one or two workers that may work in that grocery store, I judge the entire organization. There's, there's no organization where that would be fair. And it's not fair in the church to measure the church as a whole by a few people. Those outside need to be reminded of that. It's not fair. Would you want your family to be judged by the black sheep? in your family. You see, it's just simply not fair. But here's what we can do. We can remind people, we can remind ourselves, rather, of how careful we need to be because of our influence. When people who are not members of the church, when they have a valid complaint, you know what, I've had bad experiences at church. I want to do what I can to alleviate that. And what that means is I've got to behave myself. I've, I've got to start living what I'm preaching. And, I, and I've got to conduct myself in gracious ways so that when people see from outside, they see my life and your life and the way we interact, they see something positive, not something negative. That's what we can do to help alleviate that fear of bad experiences. Turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 2. The Apostle Paul said of the church of Corinth, you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Paul said to the church, guys, listen. You are an epistle. You're, you're just like, you know, I'm, I'm writing these letters, these inspired letters. You're like one of those. Some people will never pick up a Bible, but they will see you and how you deal and how you live and the way you talk and the way you treat your neighbors, the way you conduct yourself. They're watching. And the way we watch and the way we live will depend or will determine whether people want anything to do with us or not. 
This was a reminder by Paul to the church of Corinth saying, listen, people are watching you and you need to live in a holy way. You're a letter, an epistle written and read by all men. Behave yourselves. If I want to help alleviate the fears that people have, because, you know, I've, I've tried church. And man, let me tell you what happened the last time my family went to church. If we're to ever change that, it's going to take us understanding that people are affected by our influence and I need to be extremely careful how I live, how I conduct myself, how I talk, how gracious or cantankerous I I may be. But those are two things tonight that I wanted to share with you that scare people they're frightened about church because of the, they're frightened because, you know what, if I start going to church, I'm going to start changing. And re- yes, yeah, that's true. But the change is good. And we need to be living lives that prove and demonstrate and, and say, you know, it really is good. It's not just a thing we say, but those changes that we've made have resulted in a better life for us. Not only here, but obviously eternally. And people who say, you know, I'm a little bit afraid of getting into another bad experience. We've tried church before. And and when we did, boy, we got into this. The way we stop that and lower that fear is by being a church that loves each other, that gets along with each other, that lives like Jesus and treats each other uh, as Jesus would want us to treat each other. And deals with conflict when it does arise in a a God-like, Christ-like way. That's all we can do. But it is something that we can do to alleviate some of the fears that people have. Let me just remind you again of this. The passage in Revelation 21 and verse 8 says that, you know, when the day comes, the judgment, there will be some who won't make it to heaven. And among those liars fornicators, so forth. He gives a list of things. He says those who are fearful. The fearful are going to miss heaven. Not not just being afraid, but being afraid to the point where you, you don't do what you know you should do. Paul just said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity, but he's given us a spirit of power. Joshua was told a long time ago by the Lord, be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid. You can do this. Don't let your fears keep you separated from God. At the end, you know, you have the fears that we face here in this earth, or would you trade those for the fear of an eternal punishment in a devil's hell? Doesn't make sense, does it? So as we sing this song of encouragement tonight, I want you to consider the words of Isaiah the prophet who said this simply, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow, and though they be red like crimson, they can be white like wool. If you want forgiveness, if you want to come to Christ, if you want the promise of salvation, don't let your fears hold you back. Step out and come forward tonight, whether to be baptized or to request prayers on your behalf, and we will tend to your needs at that time. Won't you come as we stand together and sing?